Alpha is a six-week course exploring the big questions of life. It's for anyone interested in discussing spirituality, God, and the Christian faith in a non-judgmental, open-minded context. Each week, there's a great meal, a short talk, and discussion in small groups. People who come to the course are from lots of different backgrounds. No faith, other faiths, brought up Christian and agnostic. Everyone is welcome. Catch up on each week's talk here. Um, I ended last week's uh, talk uh, where we were looking at the Bible by saying that the, the wonder of the Bible is that it's really a story that hasn't got an end yet. What it does is it um, beckons us in to continue the story of the Bible. As people who have experienced the story of the Bible, we can now continue to experience the story of the Bible and bring the story of the Bible to a world in need. And it's a story of freedom from all sorts of oppression. It's a, um, a story of being released into an authentic version of life. It's a, free, uh, it's a story of um, being able to be part of God's purposes in the world, to make the world a wonderful place. And what's, what's crazy is that you're all here because of someone else's participation in that story, whether you know them or not. Someone has been taking uh, their part in that story and bringing you here, and you will be um, uh, also uh, able to bring other people into the, the story of life. Um, so really that's what I want to carry on with this week. How do we continue this theme of sort of participation in what God is doing uh, by looking primarily at prayer this evening? What is prayer? How does it work? Um, why do it at all? Now essentially prayer at its core is a means to grow closer to God. Having done this for, for a long time and leading a church for a long time now, it's crazy that it's now a long time that I've been doing this, but it is. Um, I know that, that pretty much everyone, wherever they are in their faith journey, has this question raise itself um, uh, in, in different times and uh, to different degrees. Do, do I really believe this? And if I do, what will happen if I really give myself over to this? Whether you believe in Jesus at all or whether you're just coming into belief of Jesus or you've been around the whole thing, what would happen if I actually gave myself fully to this? Would my life be ruined? This is the concern, I'm just letting you into it. This is the concern that most people have. What will happen if I actually fully give control over to God? And they are worried. They are worried that God will suddenly say to them, I want you to give up all your fashion sense. I want to give up all your music taste. And I want to send you somewhere you do not want to go to do something you do not want to do because that's the sort of God I am. And that's the fear, right? Some sense of recognition for some people. What, what I want to suggest is that the story of the Bible and the story of the Christian faith is not one of people becoming less of themselves. Rather that when God gets hold of us, when we are able to give ourselves to him, we actually become more of ourselves, more fully who you are. You on your best day all the time, but to the nth degree. Because God is interested in who he has made you to be, not in who you most fear you would ever become. My biggest fear in becoming a Christian was uh, that um, I would uh, not be able to go drinking with my friends, none of whom were Christians. My biggest fear was that they would think 
something wrong had happened to me, uh, that I had become a lesser person, that they wouldn't like me anymore, that they would reject me. And then, uh, over time, it was, what if I become a church leader? That will be the end of everything. I resisted it so much. I did not want to be a church leader because church leaders in my country are sad. Sad, 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 sad people. There was an advert in the paper once said, are you over 40 and going nowhere? Think about joining the Church of England. I know. Um, sorry, my iPad keeps going wrong. Anyway, that was my biggest fear. And people will have versions of that fear. He's going to send me to a God-forsaken place to um, live in a hut where there's no running water and my life will be ruined. What I have found is that I am fully, and I've seen other people become much more fully themselves as God gets hold of them. Uh, having got over myself, I love what I do. I love it. And I know that I am most alive when I am allowing God to direct my steps rather than allowing myself to direct my steps. And uh, it brings me joy. It brings me fulfillment to be going, oh, actually, this is great. I had the privilege after a few years of becoming, uh, after having become a Christian and then, um, uh, then becoming a vicar that my best friend from university who'd been dating the same girl for something like 11 years finally popped the question uh, to her and they're going to get married and for whatever reason I think purely out of um, politeness felt like they had to ask me to marry them even though I don't think they wanted me to marry them at all because they had no idea what was going to go on. Anyway, I did marry them. It went, it went very well but all my friends came up to me and said we just, we just were worried that you might have become someone else but actually you just seem much better. And I th it was such an endorsement to go, well, that's ha exactly how I feel. This has been the greatest thing ever that has happened to me. Uh, so your fear, if you have them, of what might God do if I fully give themselves to him? You can park those fears knowing that he cares much more about you becoming fully you than becoming any lesser version of yourself. Why was I talking about that? Don't know. I'll get there in a minute. Uh, yes, the way that happens is by the power of the Spirit, by the power of God filling you, by God actually, uh, his very presence, his very person, revolutionizing you from the inside out. This is the Christian faith. It's not about, have you read your Bible? It's not about, have you prayed? It's not about, have you gone to church today? It's not about, have you ticked the boxes? It's about, has God got hold of you? Have you let him get hold of you? And how much could he do if you could let him get hold of you just that little bit more? And he does this by the Spirit. So the reason to read your Bible is not so that you've read your Bible. It's in order to get more of him into you. The reason to pray is to get more of him into you. The reason to go to church is to get more of him into you. The reason to, you know, maybe put in some uh, kind of uh, disciplines is to get more of God into you so that he can revolutionize you. The fruit of his spirit are these things. Just tick these off if you would like more of this in your life. Love. Would you like to be a more loving person? Would, you don't have to nod in case it's oh. fine. Uh, <laughs> love. <laughs> Sorry, Casey. I do apologise. No, no, you're doing, no, you're doing great. Um, not, joy. Would you like more joy in your life? Are you dour? 
Are you depressed? Are you low most of the time? Or some of the time? Would you like more joy in your life? Peace. Have you seen those people for whom it actually doesn't matter how shitty life could be, but they can just actually kind of go through it with this, this, this peace that actually, even though things are terrible, everything's going to be okay. Would you like to be more peaceful? Would you like to sleep better at night? Love, joy, peace. Patience. Do you have children? <laughs> Would you like to be more patient with them? Even if you don't, would you like to be more patient with the people that you love, but sometimes actually you find yourself being so impatient with them? Kindness. Would you like to be good? Goodness. Would you like to be a good person? Would you like people to want to be around you because goodness flows out of you? Kindness flows out of you? I'm sure we know people, right? We just like being with them because there is a goodness to them. There is a wonder and a joy to them. Faithfulness. Do you stick with things? Can people rely on you? Would you like to have more faithfulness in your life? Self-control. Gentleness, missed one. Self-control. Do you actually go, I've just gone and done it again. The thing I said I would never do again. I, I let one of my children press that button yet again and I could not stop myself. And I told myself I would never do that. Would you like to be more self-controlled? Would you like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control in your life? Who wouldn't? I mean, just as a rhetorical question, who would not? Right, well you get that from the Spirit of God, nowhere else. You could be the most disciplined person in the world, but you will not have this fruit growing in you because you cannot grow it. You by yourself cannot grow it, you need the Spirit of God. And the way to get more of the Spirit is to put yourself in a place where the Spirit can fill you, where He can pour His presence in you, where He can grow all of this. If you were here on Sunday, for those of you who uh, go to the church for Tavia's brilliant talk, about the, the fruitfulness of just being with God. This is what it's all about. And we can do that through prayer. Because prayer is this open invitation to come to God and allow him to do his work in you. He does not want to ruin your life. He wants to make your life wonderful. Get that in your head. It's very important. Uh, we're talking about prayer somehow. <laughs> How does prayer work then to allow us to experience more of God? Well, properly understood, prayer is like relational communication. It is not a one-way dialogue. That's not a dialogue. A one-way monologue. It is not a soliloquy to God. Prayer is two-way relational com uh, com uh, communication. It's a conversation. My wife and I get to know each other better by talking to each other. And we say everything to each other. We try to tell each other all the things that are going on in our lives because that's how people grow closer. That's how people can understand each other. That's how people can understand what people are like, what, uh, what they want to do, their hopes, their fears, those sorts of things. Prayer is exactly the same. For Jesus, there's nothing magical about prayer. It's not about getting it right. It's not about using the right words. It's not about following any sort of model. 
rather he teaches that prayer is like this open invitation to come to God and share ourselves with him so that he might share it with himself with us. But of course, in practice, there are lots of mysteries associated with prayer, are there not? It raises lots of questions like, how on earth do you do it? Just imagine for a second that I suggested that right now, and right here, we pray with the person sitting next to us. Some people would find that quite awkward. If I said, right, just turn to the person next to you, and they're going to pray for you, and then you're going to pray for them. And it would be even more awkward, perhaps, if the person next to you looked you in the eyes and went, oh, I'm excited about this. I can't wait. And then prayed at you, on you, for a long time. And then looked at you and went, your turn. Some of us just wouldn't know where to start. We would be worried about getting the words right. Is the theology right? Do I even believe? Who am I talking to? And so for some, actually prayer just becomes like a last resort. I will pray only when everything else has failed. I've tried to solve this problem by myself. I've tried to work out if there's a way in which this problem doesn't need to affect me. I haven't got it. I can't do it. It's too much. I'll pray. Help, God, please do it. Um, Hannah has told me that I can never quote from The Simpsons because it makes me look very old, but I am old. Uh, Homer Simpson, the model of faith, said in one episode, um, I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please help me, Superman. <laughs> but for some of us, that is really what prayer becomes. I haven't got anywhere else to please help. But the Christian understanding and the way in which it actually becomes something meaningful and wonderful and good for us is that it is actually uh, not just about being limited to crises or special occasions. It's like a constant, continual relationship with God. And Jesus modelled this. He showed that he was dependent on his Father. Prayer was like this source of consolation to him. He was often discovered by his disciples, off by himself in lonely places early in the morning, praying. Because it was prayer which meant that he knew the will of God, that he had God speaking to him, telling him who he was, telling him what the world was like and telling him what God was like, so that he could partner with God in the mission that he had. So through prayer, we really just get to hang out with God. We can share our concerns, we can discover more of his will, we can understand his purpose and his character, what he thinks about things. Before I was a Christian, I never prayed. I never even prayed when I had an exam to do. I didn't do any praying. I didn't think there was any point in praying because I didn't believe in God. But having met Jesus, having had this transformative experience of Jesus becoming real, of Jesus actually being not just a, a person on the page of the book, but the real, actual, living God, um, meeting me. I could not stop praying. I loved praying. I would um, pray on the bus. I would miss my bus stop going to work because I was praying all the time. I was praying about anything that came into my mind. I'd literally go, look at all these people on the bus. God, what do you think of them? What's going on with that person's life? I wonder how we could pray for, like, show me how I could pray for her or for him. I, I would do this all the time because I, I couldn't get enough of being actually connected to the living G-O-D. Are you connected to the living G-O-D? Or is it all just actually routine? So it's relational communication. But it's also 
this kingdom building weapon. It's not just about us being able to share ourselves with God and him share himself with us. It's also about his purposes for the world. People in the Bible, they pray as if God is actually going to do something when they pray. They are full of faith. And Paul, in his writings, describes us as collaborators with God. That we are actually doing the work with God through prayer. So the idea, and that we just need to knock this on the head and make sure that um, we've finished with it once and for all. The idea that the universe is closed, that everything has already been predetermined according to God's law years and years and years and years ago before the beginning of time and nothing's going to change. This has got nothing to do with the testimony of the Bible. It's got more to do with sort of defunct philosophical musings. Instead, the openness of the universe is so stressed in the Bible that it's almost as if God is constantly changing his mind in accordance with his unchanging love in answer to our prayers. I'll say that again. It's almost as if the openness of the universe is so big that God is constantly changing his mind in accordance with his unchanging will in answer to our prayers. And if that's true, it means that prayer isn't just some way of making sure that we're connected to God. It actually does stuff. A friend of mine, um, soon after he became a Christian, he was a student in Oxford. And uh, he, uh, by his own admission, totally uninterested in drugs. For whatever reason, he'd been an atheist, but not interested in drugs at all. Never touched drugs, never did drugs, never knew anyone who did drugs. But he'd become a Christian. And he started taking drugs. No, he, he, became, <laughs> he, he, he became a Christian and he... Uh, suddenly felt as he was praying that God was um, asking him to pray against these organized crime drug rings in Oxford of all places I know there are drugs there, uh, and so uh, he just felt like well I should pray I don't know anything about this I'm just going to pray and he would pray God would you bring down all these organized crime drug rings in Oxford and then he started reading the paper and one by one, day after day, another drug ring had been bust. And he's like, I did that. I did that. Because God has chosen to use us. I know. Little old us. Each one of us. He's chosen to use us for the sake of the world. And he wants to ask us to involve ourselves in his purposes so that his kingdom might come. So it's relational communication and it's also this kingdom building weapon that has infinite power. I don't know about you, but I often, um, even having done this for a long time and having seen actually extraordinary things done in answer to prayer, still have to um, remind myself that I believe this. And I still have to go, I'm actually going to pray now for these things that are troubling me that I'm going to put these before God and I'm going to ask for him to do the things that I know he wants to do. But when we try to communicate with someone, uh, it's obviously not just enough to know why we're praying. We also need to know who it is we are praying to. So from a Christian perspective, and this is very important, when we pray, the whole of the Trinity is involved. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a bit more about the Trinity on Saturday, which is something to look forward to. Um, but the whole Trinity is involved because we pray to the Father. 
First and foremost, Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven. Because God is personal. There's a reason that he describes him like a father. Because he wants us to know that God is like a father. That he is personal and good and kind. Jesus actually uh, uniquely describes him as Abba, which is an Aramaic word which kind of um, connotes a sense of intimacy. What it doesn't connote is a sort of infantile daddy. I don't really like daddy God. Uh, if you've ever heard people say daddy God, it's a bit weird and it's also not really biblical. Um, but rather, he is a good father. He is the father that sits there waiting for the son he, who has lost himself to come back. He sits there patiently waiting and as soon as he sees him on the horizon, he doesn't wait for him to get there. He gets up and he runs and he runs towards him, which is completely uh, and utterly non-befitting of a Jewish patriarch of the time to run anywhere. And yet he does run because he cares so much more about his son who has been lost than he does about any social conventions ever. And he runs towards him and he puts a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. And before the son's even got a word out of his mouth, he embraces him, hugs him and says, let's have a party, my son who is dead is alive again. That is the God that we pray to, our Father in heaven. But he's not just our Father, he's also our Father in heaven, the creator of the heavens. So yes, we must see him as being... Uh, the intimate, kind father of Jesus' parables, but also, but also the one who flung the stars into space. I love, um, there's a little throwaway line in the beginning of Genesis where uh, it just says, and he also created the stars. The billions and billions of stars that we can't even count. The God we're praying to is not an infantile daddy who just wants to cuddle us. He does but he also can do anything, the extraordinary. He even created the stars. And it's amazing when we can feel like we have connected to something so much bigger than ourselves, to know that we are actually partnering in a God who sees everything in an instant and is doing extraordinary things in the here and now. So we pray to the Father. We also pray through the Son. And the reason for this, as I uh, mentioned uh, in the cross talk, is because it is only because of Jesus, we know we did the, 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 because of Jesus. So here's me, here I am, made in the image of God. There's God, the light up there. And I am fully alive, sexually alive, emotionally alive, physically alive, intellectually alive. Here I am, but the problem is sin has come in and has separated me from him. So I can't see him. I can't interact with him, and yet here is Jesus, one like me. Perfectly alive, emotionally alive, physically alive, sexually alive, emotionally alive, but unlike me, without sin. And what happens on the cross is Jesus takes it all, every single little bit, on himself. Crushes him so that I and you and everyone who wants to look to Jesus can be put again right in a relationship with God. And it's therefore we pray through the Son, acknowledging what he has done that allows us to speak to the God who loves you more than you could possibly imagine, but also could do extraordinary things if you just let him. Right? 
So that's through the Son. There is one mediator, only one mediator, and that's Jesus, who allows us to access the fullness of heaven. And then um, in the Spirit, to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. What about the Spirit? Again, we'll talk a little bit more about this on the weekend away. But if you still think, I don't really know how to pray. I really don't know how to pray. Can you just um, metaphorically or really um, pat yourself on the back? Well done. None of us actually really know how to pray. But this is why we need the Spirit. Because the Spirit, says Paul, teaches us how to pray. In fact, the Spirit even prays for us. He gives us the words to speak. He prays words that we don't even understand for us so that we might be praying the right things. The Bible says that prayer is a learning process. It has already begun. It began when you were born and you are learning it. Sometimes you've learned some bad lessons. Sometimes you've learned some good lessons. But the Spirit is here to teach you all truth and to teach you how to pray. So the idea is, oh, oh my goodness, I do not know what to pray. Have you ever felt this? Oh my goodness, they're going to pray. They're going to pray and now there's going to, like, everyone's going to pray apart from me and there's going to be a long silence and I won't know what to pray and I have to pray. It's not about trying to dredge up things that we can say to the Almighty, wondering whether we get our words right. Rather, it's going, I don't know what to pray. That should be the prayer that starts before all prayers. God, I do not know what to pray. Will you show me? And then the idea is that we pray, as one writer puts it, his thoughts after him. He speaks to us, and we collaborate with him, praying with him. We're all learning, though. So take yourself off the hook. There is no such thing as a good prayer. Or rather, if there is, a good prayer is just a bad prayer who got better, right? As it is with everything else. So pray and see what happens. Pray and 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 see what happens. But if you are struggling with the idea that, oh, I've got to pray, oh, I should pray, now I've got to pray, and I can't believe I've got to pray, then perhaps it's because the Spirit's not really involved. Why don't you allow him in? And then you might actually go, I can't wait to pray. Do you know, it's so weird for me. I love praying. I can't get enough of it. I want to pray over and over and over again. When we're in a prayer meeting, this is my problem. And this isn't trying to boast in any way. It's just telling you what is there. When we're in a prayer meeting, I can't wait for people to finish so that I can pray. I just want to pray. Get over it. Come on. It's my turn now. I want to pray because I want to involve myself with what God is doing. This is, what's, this is what is exciting about prayer and how it can completely revolutionise your experience of God. Now, in order um, to be able to approach God, though, as the way Jesus did, to see him as a loving father, this may involve getting rid of some wrong-headed notions that we have grown up with about what God is actually like. The truth is we all carry um, internal... Uh, versions of what God is like that have been handed down to us. Some of them are helpful, some of them are deeply distorted and are not doing us any good at all. Many people, for example, grow up with the image of God as this sort of distant God, big long beard, slightly angry, sitting in his throne room, ready to smite you or to tell you everything that you've done wrong. Now, you'd understand why you don't want to pray to that guy, right? So should we all just agree just as one little thing to do today, we'll all agree we're going to ditch that version of God right now. 
because it's not doing us any good? Should we just put him in the big celestial trash heap, burn him up forever, and go with the real God, the God who is always coming towards you, longing for you, asking you to share yourself with him, because he, can't, he wants to share himself with you. Um, that was not far. My, my um, uh, biological father was um, very absent. He was there. He was always there, but he was emotionally completely incapable. And he um, never like he died quite a few years ago, uh, and we never really had any relationship. I can't actually remember a conversation I've had with him. I've tried very hard to think. Did I have a conversation? Nope. I just can't remember a conversation with him. Um, this coloured my perception of what God might be like. I just thought he's not there, he's not around, or he's, he's too busy, too interested in something else to be concerned with me. What I found, though, the more I was actually able to open myself to the real God, and it was a struggle, because I thought, if I open myself to this God who is called a father, and I, I kind of know what fathers are like, they're not there. If I open myself to this father God, what happens if he's not there? What will, what, that will be devastating for me. So I found it quite difficult to do that to start with. But the more I trusted that he actually isn't like that, he's actually like Jesus presenting, the more he was actually able to heal a lot of that pain in me and to prove himself to be the father that I needed. It was amazing. I spent a lot of time crying when I first became a Christian, just crying in, in church at the front as God became my father. It wasn't, it wasn't always painful, but it was some of the pain of that experience growing up was being dealt with, but it was more than that. It was, it was really actually God fathering me. It was wonderful. It's incredible. I, I have no idea. I'm, a, I'm not a very good dad. I'll just let you know. Sorry. Uh, but I, I have no idea how I would be a, able to do any fathering at all if it wasn't for the fact that I know that my Heavenly Father has fathered me into some degree of wholeness, and we're still going. It's a lifelong process. But for many of us, we'll need to ditch versions of how God has been represented to us in order to actually approach the real one. But if God the Father right now is too difficult for you, for various reasons, it's completely legitimate to see God as a mother. He is described as a mother. To see God as a friend. To see God as a lover. These are all pictures of what God is actually like from the Bible. And they are given to show us and to help us approach him as he wants to be approached. So just ditch the versions that are stopping you. And go for the one from the Bible that actually helps you contact him. Um, the prophet Isaiah says, can the, ba uh, can the mother forget the baby at her breast? Even though she may forget you, I will not forget you, says the Lord God Almighty. See, I've written your name on my hands. So completely legitimate to see uh, God as a mother. Now, he's not a mother or a father, he's God. But these are pictures given to us so that we might access him. <sighs> So if knowing who the real God is we're speaking to is important, to see him as, as he actually is, it's also vital that it's the real us who are speaking to him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the writer of the uh, Narnia book, said this, May it be the real you I speak to, but may it be the real I who speaks. This is all equally important. We need to get rid of any pretension 
when it comes to prayer. You do not have to present yourself as something, anything other than who you actually are in prayer. We can often feel like we need to put on a good show. We need to make sure that we haven't done anything wrong for a while before we can approach God. Um, all the while, God is going, uh, who do you think I am? I've seen it. I've seen it all. All, every little bit, even the bits that you're not aware of, I've seen. So should we just get rid of the pretense? And he's, he's just going, well, you just come and talk to me, please, please. Again, for any of us who are parents, we know that our kids try and hide things from us. Do we care? Really? Don't we just want them? Don't we just want them? Of course you have. Yes. I, I, my children are so funny. They genuinely think they can get away with things that are so stupid. They are so stupid. They do things like uh, use my computer. They've got screen time so that they, they can only use a certain amount of hours on their devices. And then they go, oh, well, I've used up all my screen time. So they go and find my computer. And then they go and, um, but I, I never use, uh, Chrome. I always use Safari. They always use Chrome, but then they delete all the history thinking that they won't see. And I was like, well, you've used Chrome's still open, so you've done it. Like, oh, yeah. Do I care? Not really. I just want them. I just want to be connected to them. I don't want them to feel like um, they can't access me. And we'll talk about all the problems that they feel, but ultimately, this is what God is like. God wants you. So come as you actually are. Isn't that wonderfully freeing? That you can come exactly as you actually are, because he's already seen it. He knows exactly who you are. He probably sees things that you don't even know about yourself. That if you did, you definitely wouldn't come to him, but he's just saying, come as you are. The Psalms are this extraordinary group of 150 different poems and songs to God that actually depict real life emotions from the people saying them. And they do not hold anything back. They are not putting on any show. They're not using any special language. They're not trying to impress anyone. Never try to impress people in prayer. It's totally unimpressive. <laughs> They're never trying to impress anyone. They are just telling it like it is. Tell it like it is to him. You can tell him anything. You can tell him anything in the whole wide world. Things you wouldn't be able to tell anyone else. Because he wants you. And see how he will then respond how he will share himself with you. Good. That's probably enough of that. This is how I pray. I pray every day. And um, uh, I usually read my Bible, and then I have some time praying. So what I do is I find a room where I will not be disturbed. Not disturbed. Finally, the kids are back in school, and I will not be disturbed. I find somewhere where I will not be disturbed and I put my phone on silent, and I read the Bible a bit, and I ask God to speak to me through the Bible, and then I sit down, and then I um, go, okay, God, I'm going to um, ask you to show me what you want me to pray for. And then I will sit still for a bit. And often, having read the Bible, having come into God's presence, I am aware of um, one hymn, of how wonderful and good he is. And so I will often just pray, God, I thank you that you're good. I thank you that you would deal with someone like me, that you're real. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that you're big and powerful. I thank you that you're here right now with me. And I praise you and I give you glory that you're the one, even if I don't know all the answers, I know that you do. 
So I do that for a bit and that helps me go, oh yes, I know what we're doing now, we're praying. And usually in seeing God, I will then become aware of myself. It's often the way, right? Ever found that when you come into worship or come into church, you're going, wow, God's great. I know someone who isn't. Me. And so often I will then go, I'm sorry. I, I know that I've been like this. I, I just want to give you all of that and I want to acknowledge it. Will you just forgive me? And then having done that, I'll go, okay, show me what to pray for. And I'll be still for a bit. And then things will come into my mind, just out of nowhere. I'll go, usually things that I've probably been thinking about anyway. Oh, my daughter's got um, a volleyball match. I'm going to pray about that. Uh, what do you want me to pray for, God? That she has a good time, that she wins? Is her team better than every other team? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Do you care more about that? Or, God, I pray that um, she would know your pleasure if she does something that she really enjoys. I'll pray that for a bit, and then I'll pray for some other things. God, what are you saying about the church? What are you saying about my staff team? What are you saying about um, uh, my relationships, my family? All these things. And I'll just pray them after him. And I will always, always, always pray for myself. Because I need it. There is nothing proud about praying for yourself. Pray for yourself. You need it. Don't you? Do it. If that's the only thing you pray for, you are praying for a great thing because God wants to give you everything that you could possibly imagine in terms of becoming the fullness of who you are. So pray for yourself. And then having done that, I'll just uh, be quiet and stop and go, great. And I'll say, please, would you continue to speak to me through the day? And uh, I'll try and listen to his voice. All right, let's end there.